All right. A fruit of the Spirit today is on self-control. Now, I know for this church, really, that's probably not an issue. <laughs> None of you really have an issue with self-control. Mostly it's your pastor that has that, that issue, as you've known, known me. But it's on self-control. And, and, you know, I always like to put some uh, common news into the fruit of the Spirit. And there was a good one this week in this town on Route 41. Uh, as there's an issue in traffic. A woman driving her car uh, and a guy in an SUV behind, and somehow something happened. We don't know what happened, but at the stoplight, the guy in the SUV jumps out, runs up to her, and punches her through a window. Punches her. This is in the news. You can see it when you go home and read it. Punches her through the window uh, and screams at her, uh, and then he gets back into his SUV. She jumped out of her car. Then he attempted to run over her. Uh, and now, the other part of the story is the passenger in the woman's car had a gun. You know where this is headed. And so he then fires two bullets into the SUV. All right? Uh, now, nobody got killed. Uh, but the police got involved, and the next day, both the, the guy who shot the bullets and the guy who drove the SUV were both arrested. Now, this is what happens just driving your car on the street. I mean, this is why God wants you to know that you need to have self-control in every aspect of your life. How many times have you been in traffic and somebody did something, and honestly, if you had a gun, you probably would do something? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Uh, it's not you, folks. All right, you're more godly than I am. But you understand, this is the nature of humanity. This is how uh, we are. And God wants to protect us. And so the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Can you imagine that God would understand that this was a fruit of the Spirit that we needed? Uh, now, if you take a look in the Bible and you read immediately before the fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists the fruit of the flesh. Take a look at Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here it is. He couldn't be more straightforward. This, you see, is the panoply of humanity. There it is. Every aspect of humanity is listed in here. Uh, and you see how evil it is and how we are evil at our hearts. And he tells us, Paul says to us, that if you live like this, if this is how you walk, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You couldn't possibly be saved. You couldn't possibly be saved because you are embedded with evil. And I mean, these really wind up being the poster childs of humanity, as you see, a debauchery, sexual immorality, fits of rage, fits of rage, jealousy, ambition, dissension, uh, drunkenness, envy, all of the evil aspects of humanity that come about without the restraint of the Holy Spirit. This is what you get with humanity. Uh, and, and to me, 
uh, I mean, you recognize why God has given us the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so this, these human, sinful nature of human being indicates that we are out of control as, as human beings. This kind of uncontrolled behavior uh, allows people to give in to self-indulgence and jealousy uh, and self-gratification and sexual gratification, pride, gluttony. The list goes on and on and on. And so you see self-control is the opposite of this. When you take the self-control that God has given you in the Holy Spirit, and let me say that to you, he's given it to you. You have it within your heart. You can exhibit self-control. You have to ask God, as the other fruit of the Spirit is there, Lord, help me. Let this blossom in my life. Give me grace in every way. Um, and so this is the only fruit of the Spirit that God does not have because God does not need self-control because self-control is needed when you have an evil background. Humanity is evil, and so God understood that. And so even as we're saved, God knew that we needed the power of self-control in our lives. And so that's why this sermon is important. Uh, and so as you reflect over the past eight weeks on the sermons that we've uh, done here in this church, you can see how each of the fruit of the Spirit reflects something about the character of God in every way, about the love of God, uh, the kindness, the patience of love, the gentleness, the faithfulness, all of them, all of these elements that come from the Spirit of God. But now, self-control ends the list. Self-control. Uh, and so you understand that God knows that you can do great damage to the kingdom of God if you don't have self-control. Can you imagine People know you go to church. They know you spend all day Sunday in church. They know you're in the weekday processes of going to church. You're doing everything that you can, and yet some issue comes up where you're in a mixed company, and all of a sudden, rage comes out of you. Words come out of your mouth. All right? You understand this. I told you that a lot of that takes place on a golf course. Many of you ought to give up golf. Really, give up golf. Uh, because what, what happens is you lose control, and then people look at you and say, this guy goes to church? Who is this guy? What kind of church does he go to? Don't blame me, all right? Don't blame me. But here's the bottom line. You understand how important self-control is. Even as you deal with your life, I heard a dear brother tell me this morning about some issue between him and his wife, and he expected his wife to make delivery of some item, and it wasn't there in the car when he wanted it. And uh, when he got into the car and it wasn't there, he raged at her. He raged at her. And that's a good man. It's a godly man. But you understand this is what happens. All of a sudden, the filters come off us, and we say things, and we do things that we don't want. Always ask God to restrain your tongue. All right? restrain your tongue. God, give me the grace to put a filter on my mouth. Uh, and that's been a lifelong prayer that I've needed, all right, because I understand this. And so God knows, you see, God knows that you're not perfect. God knows that you're not perfect. He knows that you're dust. He knows that you're walking around with the old man, the flesh, and, and, and he wants you to be 
fully saved and a member of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, I heard that growing up as a kid, and I really didn't fully understand it. I just thought it was my father trying to keep me from doing things I really wanted to do, you know. But I came to recognize, no, you're right, Dad. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit has been given to you by God. He's put it in your heart because he recognizes that your body is a temple serving God. And so how can you serve God? How can you be that person that walks with God and influence the kingdom of God if you are out of control? You cannot. You cannot. And so we have to pray today that God will give us wisdom and the power to develop the spirit of self-control. It's so key. It's so key. Even as we walk with him and all these other evidences of fruit blossom in our lives, if self-control is not there, we debase it. We debase it. Uh, And so there is a similar list to Paul's list of the fruit of the spirit in the opening verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. There, self-control is among the chief qualities listed uh, in Peter's list uh, and how God's divine promises are bound together uh, with self-control. Look, look, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. Imagine that. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sin. All right? And and you see this list, and you see it here, because he warns you that you will be ineffective and unproductive. What does he mean by that? You can't walk as a Christian. You can't advance the kingdom of God if you are raging under control. And I know some of you are saying, well, come on, John, you don't know. Uh, I am what I am. I have a weakness in this regard. And I say, I reject that. All right? I reject that. Because yes, you had a weakness in your flesh. Yes, you had a weakness in your DNA. But God interposed the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God in your heart. And part of that is self control. You don't have to be out of control. And so God wants you to restrain yourself and to think carefully before you shoot your tongue out and say something reckless. And and how all these other fruit of the Spirit come together, but they're bound together by having self-control. Now, virtue, you see, lies in keeping control of our passion. Yes, we can be passionate. Yes, There's nothing wrong with being passionate. But we want passion to serve God's ends. We don't want passion to serve Satan or the flesh. We want to use our passion to advance the kingdom of God. Certainly, we understand that we have powerful drives. All right? We understand that. Uh, That's part of how we're created. 
but we have to be careful to keep away from our fallen, sinful nature. How can that nature be controlled? Well, God has given you the ability to do that. Now, here's the thing. You do not have the ability to do this yourself. This is something that I had to come to terms with in my own life. You know, you think that, well, you know what? Uh, I can really exercise self-control. And what you find is, no, you cannot. In your flesh, you cannot. It's only when you bow to the Lord and bow to the Holy Spirit and say, God, give me that Holy Spirit. Give me that spirit that allows me to restrain yourself, that God will give you that, elevate that. That's how you control yourself. The best of intentions in the world without the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the restraining power of God fall in failure. Uh, And this is important. This is how you walk with God. Now, self-control does not involve control of the will. Make it very clear. Your will is incapable of controlling these passions and these impulses. Only under the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, does God give us that ability. And I'll prove it to you in the Bible. There's a very sad story of David and Bathsheba. A very sad story. Here's David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. Uh, And God used him powerfully, powerfully. Uh, David would wind up being in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, What a godly man. And yet, as godly a man as he was, he still had these evil impulses. And so there came a time when he should have been with his men fighting the enemies of the Lord. But instead, you see, he decided to stay home at the palace. So the first lesson there is be very careful when you remove yourself from the people of God, from the work of God. He wanted to stay home. Why? Because he liked to go up to the roof of the palace at the end of the day. Why? Because he saw Bathsheba taking a bath every day. And that was a very pleasant sight to David. He liked watching that, all right? He had a weakness for women uh, that also stayed in his family with Solomon. As you know, he had over a 1,000 wives. And so here it is. He had this weakness for sexual immorality. He's up on the roof where he shouldn't be, and that's one of the lessons that God teaches us. Don't go where you shouldn't go. Restrain me, Father, from things that I shouldn't do. You know, when you're getting an impulse at 2 o'clock in the morning to go down and get on your computer because you tell your wife, I got to do some important research, and instead it's pornography that you're researching, you're not advancing the kingdom of God, and you're drinking poison that's going to affect your life, it's going to affect your wife, and it's going to affect your whole family. And so what happened here? What happened is, as he's up there, uh, and he winds up having an affair with Bathsheba, uh, and then he winds up committing one sin after another, where he decides once she's impregnated that he now has to get rid of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And so he engineers a plot to send this decent man to the front lines during a vicious war, and then tells the generals to pull back and let this man stay there by himself. Well, of course he dies. Effectively, it's murder. Can you believe that? That this godly king, 
who served God, who would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, would be involved in murder. Not only uh, adultery, but now murder. This is what happens when you give into a lack of self-control. I'm sorry to say it. Well, what happened here? Well, God punished David. David could not write a psalm for 51 months. 51 months, excuse me, a year and a half. Uh, but he couldn't write a psalm for, for a year and a half until finally he writes Psalm 51, that great psalm in which he begs for forgiveness. Then what happened to his family? His family came apart because of that sexual sin. His two sons, Amnon uh, and Absalom, both succumbed to sexual sins and wound up being disgraceful in the kingdom. Absalom wound up being a revolutionary uh, trying to depose his father. Do you see what happens when you think this innocent act, I'm just going to go up to the roof, winds up devolving one sin after the other after the other, and God loves you, and he wants to protect you. That's why you need to exert self-control. And so I would ask you this question to answer to yourself, not to me or anyone else. Are you in control of your attitudes uh, towards others? When other people do well, are you happy for them? Uh, or do you find yourself getting jealousy, uh, having jealousy? Uh, do you find that you have selfish ambition uh, that winds up showing its face when you see other people getting ahead? Uh, are you in control of what is perhaps the hardest thing to control? Your tongue, your tongue, the damage that we do with our tongue. You know, the thing about the damage that we do with our tongue is this. Once it comes out of your mouth, you can't take it back, all right? Think about all of the hurtful things you may have said to your spouse or to your children or to your coworkers or even to your friends in a peak of anger. Uh, and then you wish you could take it back. And it's too late. You can't take it back. And that's what God wants to prevent. Look at James chapter 3, verse 3, where he speaks about the tongue. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This really is a biography of so many people that I know uh, who are basically good people, but they cannot control their tongues. 
And when I hear what they say and how they say it, I see bitterness and anger and rage and hurt. I'm, the, the amount of damage people have done with their tongue is incalculable. Think about it in your whole life uh, where people have hurt you and said things to you that really have devastated you when all that could have taken place is they put a muzzle on their tongue. All right? God knows this about us, and he doesn't want you to lead that kind of life. Uh, as he says here, the tongue is, a, is restless evil full of deadly poison. Let me say this. If you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you have no idea what's going to come out of your mouth. You don't know because that's what happens when you're not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so this becomes an important lesson for you. And so here's the thing. If someone cannot control themselves or their words, uh, how can they be trusted uh, to exercise any amount of appropriate and godly work in the church? They cannot. If you're out of control and your tongue is out of control, you cannot be given a position of trust in the church. God understands this. He doesn't want this to be so, but he's warning you about it. Paul sees self-control as something that has to be taught to people of all ages, both males and females, both young and old, in all genders. It is something for us in the church to work on. This becomes something for you to work on every day of your life. Lord, help me, Father. Help me to be self-controlled. Help me to control my tongue. Help me to recognize that I can hurt people badly uh, when I'm not in control. You give me control, and God will honor that prayer. He will honor that prayer. I can tell you that I've seen it in my own life, uh, just like the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. So just as love blossoms up and fruitfulness, gentleness, all of those things. Impatience comes to you. God binds it. He binds it all together with self-control. You have the ability to do this. Now, consider some of these biblical passages, which I think help us to fight anger and restore self-control. And I'm giving them to you uh, because I want you to have this as a reference point. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Uh, this is important. Look at Proverbs 14. Verse 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. There's no benefit in being quick-tempered. You understand? There's no godly benefit. So all of a sudden, if you find yourself, somebody does something, and boom, you're ready to explode. All I can say to you is ask God to restrain you, all right? This is something that I personally have had to struggle with in my own life. Lord, restrain me. Uh, give me an understanding of how I should do this, and God will do it. He will lift you up and protect you and give you that ability. Ephesians 4, verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun 
go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let your anger stay with you overnight. Don't go to bed angry, and this applies to those of us who are married. You have a fight at night. Don't go to bed with that fight still in place. Don't go to bed with the angry words that you've done. What you need to do is ask God to give you grace and say, please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I ask God to forgive me, and I ask you to forgive me. Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, it's like a camel. The camel likes to just put his nose under the tent. You understand that? Well, before you know it, the whole camel's in the tent. That's what happens. If you study in the Middle East, they'll tell you, he just sticks his nose under the tent. What's it look like? Mm, it's nice in here. Let me see if I get my entire body in. You see, Satan is the same way. Let me see this. Just go up to the roof of the palace. Come on, it's a nice view. What's going to be hurt? By going up to the roof, yeah, except an entire nation paid a penalty for that, all right? And that's what you have to rec recognize and remember this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Get rid of these aspects of humanity that destroy you. Anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Those are the kind of things that ignite your tongue. Those are the kind of things that ignite malice. Those are the kind of things that, that don't respond to normal self-control. But God has given you the authority and the ability to say, Lord, restrain me. Lord, help me. Help me not to launch a missile. Lord, help me to be really patient and loving and kind and to forgive because this is all part of what God wants from us as Christians. And so Paul now, you see, has come full circle in his portrayal of the fruit of the Spirit. He began with love, which is a quality that relates really uh, to our thoughts and our actions outwardly towards other, and he ends with self-control, which is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that goes inward, controlling our inward thoughts and actions uh, for our own good and for those of others. That's how he puts this whole package together of the fruit of the Spirit. And most likely, Paul has in mind that unless we exercise uh, this necessary practice of self-control and live in a disciplined way, uh, disciplined by the Holy Spirit, most likely, most likely, you will not be likely to bear the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. That's how important self-control is. And so we come to the end, really, of our study of the qualities of, the, of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we begin by reminding ourselves that God wants every single one of us to live every day knowing that we have the fruit of the Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. You know, that's what this is about. God wants you to become more like Christ every day. Uh, and this is the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit. 
This is how you become like Jesus. He's implanted his spirit in you. You have it in you from the moment you were saved. Now walk with God. Ask God to touch you. Elevate that spirit. Let it blossom, Lord. Let me be under control. And let's get back to studying the Bible and reading the Bible and listening to preaching on a regular basis. Look, we need to observe three things that he said uh, relating to the fruit of the Spirit when he first put that list out, Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. At the end of this statement, Paul says, there is, against such things, there is no law. There's no law that legislates this attitude, all right? You don't look and say, this is the legislated law of God. This isn't a law. This is God's Spirit. He took his very Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and implanted it in your heart. You have that there. You have the ability to be Christ-like every day of your life. You need to be aware of this and honor him and love him and walk with him so that you can do this. It's important to do this. The law isn't relevant here. This has nothing to do with the law or the commandments. It's the spirit of God that's implanted in your heart. Uh, and this becomes key. We live by submitting to Christ Jesus by submitting to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit lift us and guide us under the power and patience of the Lord. Now, the, the fruit of the Spirit is a matter of character. Character. This winds up being Christian character. It changes your DNA. You are no longer the same person that you were before. Uh, you more and more model Christ. And people see it. And you will see that when you do this over your life, as you walk like this, people will begin to notice the difference. People will see it, and they will know that. They'll see Christ Jesus being formed in you because God bears the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, this is also while the fruit, fruit is singular. Uh, they come together as a single fruit. It is one single character package. It is the character of Jesus Christ that's been implanted in your life and distributed amongst God's people. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit grows with you in your life as you grow and you walk and you mature in wholeness, in unity, and balance. Uh, all of the fruit of the Spirit works together, strengthening you, allowing you to advance the kingdom of God. Now, Paul tells us uh, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, meaning what? Meaning you have, still have passion, you still have desires, but when it comes up now, you're convicted. You're convicted. You don't just give in, all right? You ask God to restrain you, and he does restrain you, and you're filled with love and gentleness and patience and kindness, all of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and because you signed up with Jesus, you've given your heart to Jesus, you've surrendered yourself to Jesus. You're crucified with Jesus Christ. You died. The old flesh is dead. Don't just carry it around. All right? You have the authority to repudiate it. This is important to understand this. 
and so, yes, you will still have sinful desires, of course. That'll continue until they put dirt on you, all right? But here's the thing. You can restrain yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit because God has given you that. Uh, this is an act of will and prayer and love. Lord, help me, direct me, keep me, all right? Exercise this on a daily basis. And so what is our responsibility as Christians? Uh, I have to work out what it means to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We have to learn to say no, not yes to everything that goes on in the world. This means really that there are things that you need to consider that we have on the board. And this is how I would close this message. This means that there are places I should not go. The roof of the palace. All right? There are places you shouldn't go. Use your head. You know where a lot of this stuff is going to end up. Do you think you should go there? The answer is no. No. Uh, there are things I should not look at. All right? If you know that there's things that you look at, whether it's a movie or book or a magazine, you're going to see things that are going to bring out prurient interest in your heart. Don't go there. Don't look at those things. Say no. This is important. There are relationships that I should not play with. This is important, uh, especially those of us that are married. Be careful about some of these relationships that seem innocent, but all of a sudden go down a steep path. And this goes for everybody, even friendships that you have with people. Be careful about these friendships. Are these friendships going to advance the kingdom of God? Is this going to help me to be a better Christian? Or am I going to be sucked down uh, into some form of evil? There are words that should never pass my lips. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you think God wants you to say the kind of words that you're saying? Does he want you to be involved with slander and malice? Not just blasphemy, but slander and malice. You know, if you can't say something good about someone, learn to shut your mouth. Just be quiet. I mean, this is important. Some of us feel like we always have to say something. There are conversations I should not join in or pass on. You understand this. Be careful. You see a conversation going on and you think, well, let me jump in on this. I can, I'm an intelligent person. I could weigh in on that. And yet it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You know, even I've laughed, but I, I saw a book once that even talked about prayer language. Be careful when you get prayer lists in which you're, they begin to talk about certain uh, uh, sins and gossip and prayer. You understand something? Just because you're praying for somebody doesn't mean you can gossip about them. Oh, you know, I saw him going down the street. He was going into that lady's house. Look, stop it. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you advancing the kingdom of God? That's gossip. I don't care if you're thinking it's, you're, you're praying for them. You're not, all right? Uh, then there are feelings I ought to rebuke and suppress. Look, you get passionate about things, but if something comes up, something that ignites your passion, and you know it's not within the will of God, knock it down. Stop Ask God to restrain you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let me go there, Lord. And he'll honor that. He'll do that. Uh, as you see that, just as, as it relates to your desires. Uh, you know, we have desires for all kinds of things. How many of those things advance the kingdom of God? Is this going to bring me closer to Christ 
really? Is it going to bring me closer to Christ? This is why I, I laughed and my dad used to say it. You know, for some people, God isn't going to give them uh, a summer home because if he gives them a summer home, we'll never see them in church anymore, right? All right, I hear people saying, oh, all I need is I have a boat. If I get a boat, I'll be able to, you know, pray more. Yeah, you'll pray more. Where is Joe? He's gone. He's out in the ocean someplace. We don't see him. He doesn't darken the doors. Think about all those things that come into your life because you had a desire for something that does not advance the kingdom of God. And then our attitudes, our attitudes. Lord, change my heart. Change my attitude and let me be more loving. Let me be more kind. Let me be more gentle. Let me have patience, Father, in all my relationships and help me, Lord, to keep control of my tongue. And help me, Lord, to keep control of my intentions. Uh, When you do this, when you walk like this, when this becomes the controlling aspect of your life, God lifts you up and you become really a poster child for what it means to be a Christian. And you will impact the kingdom of God. So many people will see you and will be drawn to you, will want to have you as part of their life, will want you to be part of their relationship because you become more like Jesus Christ. That's the essence of this message, church. That's why I've preached this these past nine weeks, to understand what it means to walk with Jesus, how we walk with Jesus, how we are transformed with Christ. You have the power. He's given it to you. Now, ignite, ignite it, ignite it with your will. Amen, church? Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for for what you've given us over these past nine weeks, how we understand really the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, in a way that I personally never understood it before, how you've given us the very Spirit of Jesus Christ in our hearts that we can become more like Christ. We have the authority and the ability when we bow to you and pray to you and ask you to let it blossom. And now this week, as you've told us about self-control, how self-control ties the knot on all of this. And so I ask you, Lord, to let our church be cognizant of this, to walk with you, to be empowered by by the Holy Spirit, to let this message resonate with us so that when we leave this place, we are empowered to walk with you in a never-ending way to advance the kingdom of God. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.